0: You're listening to the sounds of uh, the noisiest guys on the planet. I don't know if you could guess what guys those are. They're a a group of crustaceans with uh, 10 feet or 10-footed, or decapoda, Including uh, crayfish, crabs, lobsters, prawns, and shrimp. These are sounds from uh, Jana Vinderen from her album entitled The Noisiest Guys on the Planet. You can listen to it on Bandcamp and uh, purchase it there as well. Uh, her work is released on the touch label which uh, goes back some years lots of interesting sounds and pieces. Jana Vinderin is from Norway. She makes uh, sound installations and performances in many cases focusing on underwater sound last month on making waves we uh, featured content from the sound camp weekend where up here in South River Canada we were recording sounds from the environment and above-land sounds or above-water sounds and uh, I interviewed Yana during that weekend uh, to talk about the, her recording practice, and uh, as a way of introducing recording to people that were taking the workshop that weekend with us up here at NASA. So I thought I'd share that interview with everyone, and uh, here in WGXC, as a kind of little present for. Uh, the fundraising efforts and uh we encourage you to support uh wgxc which is um really one of um, a unique voice in the world of sound and transmission unique in the world and we admire it up here in south river ontario and uh we're also Appreciative of the chance to share our sounds and experiences with you down there So here's my interview for making waves with Yana Vinderen, Recorded about a month ago the beginning of May and she was in the middle of recording Kappa and uh, did the interview out in the forest in Norway in her car. So there will be some audio artifacts of that, but uh, it's a very clear interview. Thank you for taking the time uh, to talk with me Uh Amidst, uh, your trip. No, it's
1: like that all the time now. you know it's like a high time for recording outside and you know it's like
0: <laughs> yeah it's true yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that because uh, springtime is kind of when uh, everything comes to life uh, at least in the northern part of the world anyway uh, so maybe describe where you are
1: yeah, uh, I'm kind of between different uh, locations at the moment. Uh, I was last uh, and a couple of days ago. I was in the deep forest, like old forest in the sem- in mid uh, of Norway, and um, recording kapokanis um, actually there, and um, and now I'm on the way to the coast <laughs> actually.
0: Uh, what was the animal that you were recording? Maybe describe what that is to uh, n- people that might not know.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, I went out into the ground where, you, where the capercaillies are leking. I mean, we call them tiur in Norwegian. So I'm not really sure about the pronunciation if I'm saying it right, but it's capercaillies, that big bird, big black bird and every year they have their kind of you know, mating um, sessions and uh, attracting the females um, the sessions that are uh, on the high um, right now. I was shown a really great area where this is happening right now.
0: How do you describe the sound that they make for the mating?
1: Uh, Well, they they kind of come in in the evening and they have this kind of weird sound with a they do with a beak I'm not really sure because I I couldn't see that I saw it come in but um, You know I was so occupied with the the Listening you know, so then i don't watch that much. I really concentrate on the listening so I couldn't see exactly what it was doing but it was almost like they're kind of cleaning up the inside of their beaks or something, it's this really strange sound um, and when they start to do, they do this kind of if you can hear what I'm doing <laughs> uh, kind of sound and it kind of ends with a kind, of kind of sound um, it doesn't reach that far, it's not like a more kind of singing, howling songs that the great grouse is doing um, that are in the same, you know, they're similar birds, but slightly smaller. They also have a kind of mating um, ritual uh, at this time, Uh, but I heard them like really far in the background. So um, that their sound reaches further and they, but these uh, capuchelis, they are really, really sensitive to any kind of movement or, uh, you know, so you need to hide and stay, stay 12 hours inside of a camouflage tent. And you can't really move, you know, because they are very, very sensitive to disturbances.
0: Wow. So is that, that being still for that long a time, is that uh, typical for your recording experiences? Or is that kind of the extreme end of devotion?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't necessarily work in the way that I am waiting for things. I, I rather kind of go out into an environment where I know that a certain species is and I would follow the sound I hear and often uh, unknown sounds. I mean, sounds I haven't heard before and of a species I don't know which is, you know, and this is mainly underwater because my main... Uh, occupation is really to record underwater sounds with hydrophones with very sensitive hydrophones uh, which i've been doing now for the last 13-14 years and uh, so so this is more like i go out in an area where i know or expect a certain thing but very often i find something else you know (laughs) like almost without exception there is something else that also catches my uh, my ear then and uh, i would then ask local people and follow that sound again and uh, try to get closer or investigate what which species are in the area and uh, and often it's also um, connected with certain issues or things i would want people to Uh, you know to um, ask more questions about or to uh, be more occupied with or you know certain issues with ecology of that place that need to be raised and stuff like this yeah
0: your approach for recording these sounds like your instincts are coming from like is it do you already have a piece in mind that you're going to make it for or is it you're collecting these out of curiosity and then you incorporate them into your works
1: uh, it's often related to um, to pieces i'm working on or issues i've said rather issues than particular pieces uh one example being spring bloom in the marginal ice zone i became very much aware of this uh, which the politicians in norway is calling the ice edge you know and Uh, which is totally wrong, you know, I had this feeling that there's something wrong with this, it's not nuanced enough. I don't really get the whole full story here. So they,
0: you
1: know, the Prime Minister was then saying, oh yeah, this ice age is moving by itself further north. And uh, so I just uh, what what ice age? So I went into this area to try to understand more what is going on in this um, which is actually the marginal ice zone also changing with the seasons and I wanted to understand what's happening with the plankton uh, you know the phytoplankton the zooplankton the drift of the ice with was there any ice left you know what is going on in this area and it's a very sensitive area because there is not Uh, if one species disappear there isn't necessarily anybody to take over the job, you know, this is a really fragile system and, um, you know, so so this is one approach and then I went to, on the room and asked to be, to uh, take part in this research Uh, or I was asked if I wanted to come to this research trip where they were uh, looking into this particular area and I was invited to go to the North Pole and I was very happy about that at that point, you know, so it's like um, it's often driven by an interest towards a specific area uh, or I get invited to do specific, um, uh, you know, recordings in particular areas and, and then the piece will be created around that to express what I found kind of thing. And then again, you know, I'm sorry, it's it's so different. If I would plan to do a release, this would be a different story, you know? And, um, or if I do, uh, you know, almost sort of say 80 speaker installation, the one I did in the Park Avenue tunnel, I would think differently than I would do with something that has a beginning and an end, if it's in the installation, looped installation where you more enter in and choose your own time. So it depends, it depends really on the, the, what I would want to say and what the uh, format
0: is. Right. Would you say your work is about conservation or is it not uh, limited by that, by that objective?
1: I think, you know, I, I've always been concerned with how we treat the planet since I was a child. So, um, and I wanted to become a marine biologist. So I studied math, chemistry, biochemistry, fish ecology, and these things before I studied art. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of, it's hard for me to say whether it's uh, broader or, you know, in terms of conservation. Well, I think it's, um, well, probably it's broader. I mean, it's my whole life.
0: Maybe tell me a bit about your transition from, studying marine biology to going into art what did art allow you to do that you couldn't do in marine biology
1: Um, as the time has gone and I'm becoming older I am thinking very much that I am doing the same as I did as a child as I did as a young person you know, as I did when I studied. It's uh, the my concerns and interests are the same. I just look at them at from different um, perspectives. So when I studied science, it was because of my interest in uh, the environment and you know other creatures and especially underwater environments. And and so it is now when I am working it with, you know, I'm working often with marine biologists and or other people that are interested in the same issues. So whether I'm looking at it from an artist's point of view, it's like, uh, it's just a a different, slightly different angle to the same thing. If you, if you see what I mean. And, Mm -hmm. but uh, of course I am not um, working with in the method of uh, scientists, for sure. I mean, I'm not consistent, uh, or um, what shall I say? I'm I'm not. Uh, th- my results wouldn't necessarily be uh, interesting for uh, scientific research, because I'm not consistent enough in my recordings. Do so I mean systematically enough? And um, as an artist, I. Can al- allow myself to suggest a hypothesis, and I doesn't necessarily need to prove it or test it for ten years. Um, you know, to evaluate, to eva- to make it valid. And hopefully, I can raise some interest and enthusiasm by uh, uh, other people too. So more people go out and have a listen, or get interested in focused listening, and get interested in particular environments through listening. And this is very much what I hope to do, though, but you know. Uh, So I I have a different method. Um, But of course I can't... uh, Well, and I guess a very close relationship to an audience, which is often very... can be more difficult for a scientist to have because you might not even have time to go out and and talk to an audience like this because you are very wrapped up within your... um, Uh, Your research, you know, so it's not necessarily so easy for scientists to reach um, People, you know, And, and but I can do that as a as an artist
0: When your work connects with an audience, what is the kind of feedback or response that you get?
1: Yeah, of course I mean when people are experiencing my installations i'm often not necessarily there on except in the opening day you know but uh, for after a concert i have immediate reactions and you know i love it when people are just coming over and giving me a big hug you know <laughs> people i don't know and they could just come and give me a big hug and then i think yeah okay this was all right i'm happy with this you know <laughs> because i know it reached somewhere so something with people and and that's always a great response
0: <laughs> but it, but it lives in a kind of non-verbal place, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, and well, I'm I'm kind of hoping that that that's why I do what I do and not writing texts.
0: Yes, so you're com- yeah, that's comfortable for you, uh, even though you came from a marine biology background.
1: But you That's know i was i I was sitting in the you know where you're reading where you're supposed to read you know in your halls. i'm not sure what it's called in english we know the we call it less all reading halls, you know um and i was uh, and towards the end I was drawing more than I was reading i must admit
0: <laughs> um i i um getting back to the water world um uh so for people that don't know what hydrophones are um tell me how that works uh, that process of recording sound underwater how is that different than uh a microphone that you would see in a radio studio or something like that
1: yeah uh i mean the microphones we use in the studio or outdoors for that sake yeah they have like membranes that are made to um you know they pick up Uh, sound in air and not in water so I mean they are mm, not really adapted to uh, the environment underwater so you use piezo technology Uh, it's like contact microphones how they work if you are familiar with um, uh, you know how you place a contact microphone on, an instru- on the body of an instrument, on a guitar, for it, or in an acoustic guitar, or a violin, or something like this. And you pick up the reverberations inside of the body of an, and from the wood, you know. Uh, so the hydrophones are working in that way. They kind of picks up the vibrations in the water. Um, And you have different sensitivities of these hydrophones. Um, The ones I'm using now are really, really sensitive, and they have a great, broad uh, frequency response spectrum. You know, so it's um, very, very useful in in environments where it's quiet, and I want to pick up the sound of underwater insects, for example. And um, you know of or a fish that isn't necessarily really loud sounds but they can be you know quite small and uh, like the but you know in water sound carries about five times faster than it does in uh, in air and it's also extremely depending on um, different depths i mean like different um, pressure salinity temperature this will influence how the sound is traveling through the water. So I experienced that the sound at different depths can be can vary a lot. So, so there's
0: quite a difference from if you dunk uh, the hydrophone in an ocean or in the Baltic Sea versus a little river or stream or lake. Or I mean, how are these different environments? What are the different challenges and and um, uh, characteristics of these you know in a general sense uh, you know if, if you just take say within Norway for instance uh, how are these uh, um, uh, in different environments or uh, what do they present to you?
1: I think the largest challenge you always have as a sound is this people and uh, human created sounds unless you want to include them in your recording Um, or you are actually working with human created sounds, it's uh, it it is very tricky to avoid. (laughs) I found like a couple of days ago when I was recording in the forest there, um, it was a little gap of uh, air uh, traffic between somewhere around three o'clock at four o'clock in the morning uh, where it was quiet, so that was the time I concentrate my recording because I don't I think it's distracting from what I want to talk about um, with this human created sounds all the time you know I I let them come in and I would like to kind of compose them into where I want them to say something in the in the in the composition and uh, so the same goes for underwater and it will be different in freshwater and in salt water in terms of that there isn't necessarily so much um, boat traffic in freshwater lakes, you know, but um, often I find something else that could be like even resonating windmill uh, sounds, you know, and uh, it can be like pumps or cities that are close to the uh, the lake, which will resonate into the water really uh, quite loudly sometimes. And in uh, rivers, um, depending on uh, you know if it's Sunday and there is a lot of people around along the river, will you will hear them very uh, loudly in the water as well. Uh, so uh, in out further out at sea, you know your main uh, problem being shipping traffic, and there could be seismic testing, there could even be military sonars around. Or sonars altogether. Uh, So I think this is um, quite challenging, actually. And uh, of course, out further out the sea, it's uh, you need to kind of drift your hydrophones away from the boat. So you need your cables to drift away, so that you don't get just this kind of lapping of the boat you're in. You know, and you can't go into the water because you will uh, make sound by breathing. Uh, if you are in the divers equipment, you know if you have bring um, <laughs> bring air with you down there. Um, yeah, there is uh, of course there are challenges uh, with this, and um, but it's great, you know. It's uh, challenging. Uh, challenges are uh, exciting.
0: So you have to use. Uh, is there a difference from getting stuff from the shore to going out in a boat in the in in the water? Is there? Is there um, really uh, like you have to get out into the water in order to capture a lot of these sounds or, or is there a lot of stuff that's accessible from shorelines?
1: Um, I would say the ideal situation is really if you are in a, you know, for example in a Zodiac uh, or some boat that isn't, no I won't say actually a Zodiac, I will say a wooden boat because wooden boats, if they, you know, some of the sounds are coming through to your recording um, the sound of wooden boats is much better than it is of a plastic or Definitely of a metal boat, because <laughs> you know, that, that that clunking is not very nice. Um, if you can't avoid to hear some of the boat you're in, uh, so uh, ideal situation being like flat water, n- no wind at all, um, and uh, yeah, from a wooden boat, and then. Um, having long enough cables, so they, you know, you, you have a variety of different depths and, uh, yeah.
0: Mm. Uh, okay, because one thing with the depths is that, I guess, as, as you move the microphone up and down, you're you're almost, from my ex- limited experience, is that you're, it's almost like you can enter a different um, world. Like, there's these kind of vertical... Compositions that happen uh, in space that that we don't uh, that we're not as attuned to, I think, in the, in the on land.
1: Well, yeah, uh, but if we if you start kind of you know thinking about the difference if you're lying down uh, on the ground listening and then slightly moving upwards and going either up a hill or up a building, the your sound perspective is changing a lot as well. You know, so um, I think just to kind of get attuned to that too i mean uh, i've been amazed sometimes with just closing my eyes and, and and listen at different perspectives in the you know quite close to each other how it changes how the environment changes when you you know there's a hill or there's like a, um, a drop in the in the environment or in the in the landscape and how you kind of start to hear you know different things in our you know how different things are echoing how different things are uh, resonating, you know, just within a quite small uh, area or around the corner, or you know, all these things and it makes a difference. And I think we're just not so used to uh, think about it, but I do think we unconsciously are orientating ourselves uh, with it, you know, with um, our brain, our reading, the audio, um, and also according to what this danger for us now, these days, you know. A dangerous sound is a car sound, and uh, and not kind of wild animal somewhere or uh, you know, uh, but you you notice that when you walk around in the uh, different environments with different types of microphones, what the microphone will pick up, you know, depending on the characteristics of the microphone, it will be very different than what you do without without it. So um, it's a lot to do with uh, how the brain are reading the sounds too, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. and are you always when you're recording on land? Are you are you with the recorder, or are you set it up somewhere that's separate from you? Uh, do you, I've seen people actually set it up and walk away. Um, uh, is that do you, do you, uh, I, I'm asking because I guess I'm trying to think of how your listening is connected to uh, the place, and also even your sense of danger or. You know, are you safe and and is that is that sense of safety or danger in you know um, put uh, more at risk when you're listening on the headphones versus uh, just listening without hearing through the microphone.
1: I prefer to listen to what I am. Uh, I mean, live. You know, um, to what I'm recording and not just listen and leaving it. Uh, but of course uh, there are, that's different ways of working. Of course you couldn't get you, you could get really uh, surprised when you then get back and you are um, uh, then listening back to your recordings and there's something uh, e- you know, unexpected happening. Uh, but, uh, but but I prefer to listen all the time and of course I'm not uh, my main occupation is to listen underwater. Uh, or listening to frequencies and frequency areas we're not necessarily uh, can pick up, you know, like the ultrasound range, which is about 20,000 hertz, and you can't, you can only listen to the frequency shift in real time, and I will record it and then time shift it later. So I won't be able to exactly here what it will sound like time shifted, even though that could be great if we could actually stretch time in real time. It would be fantastic, right? <laughs> we can kind of make our life much longer <laughs> Go into other dimensions. Yeah, no, but um so I, I prefer to listen because then it's almost like I feel the composition starts when you're out there, you know, when you when I am recording because you place your microphone according to what's close to you, what's a bit further away, what is in the background, and then it's you—you you kind of compose with the placement of the microphones, I would say, uh, already. And so the way I work, I would say it's important that I am listening all the time. And when you ask about danger, um, what do you mean?
0: Well, I just I guess cuz your senses are enhanced hearing through the microphone versus uh hearing just a uh, re- regular way. Um and uh so you there I think all the sounds are kind of become more bigger, I guess than than uh you know if if uh, if an you know if a little rabbit is uh Jumping around in the woods, it can sound like uh, you know it's a, a moose on <laughs> the microphones. Uh, uh, so there's a there's that sense of uh, um, everything becoming larger than life, and uh, I I was interest, interested in maybe
1: the listening level is a bit too loud then.
0: Oh, perhaps yeah, yeah.
1: Or you're recording too loud.
0: Or recording too loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, i was just interested though in that sense that the so you so in a sense it's important to listen at a level that feels like how you would hear it in the environment
1: i think you should always yeah listen to uh, you have to boost it sometimes to but but then i would rather kind of you know keep your listening level at the same level all the time with it according to the headphones you're using and i don't really touch that but then you can you can touch the input level you know that you're uh, so that you can sometimes i gain up to hear if there is some small sounds there uh, that I wouldn't miss you know so if I found some small sounds and then then it's really important to have a very good preamp so that's why I'm going like mad on getting a very good preamp <laughs> so I don't kind of start to listen to my recorder preamp instead of the uh, the small sounds because of course sometimes you need to gain a lot if you want to record um, you know, a little uh, insect eating a leaf, or uh, you know something very very we small, like the wing flapping of a butterfly. You know, you need then to gain a lot um, and be very close.
0: Yes, if you took a, your work from you know the initial recordings all the way to the final presentation, is there, is is the recording aspect a very big chunk of the work in terms of labor and time, or or is there uh, is there is that just one you know is that is that just a quarter of the work uh is there is there a sense that a lot is dependent on what's captured and then and then the rest is just uh more editing and arranging in a simpler way or is 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 there um is there a lot of work that goes on after the recording
1: yeah <clears throat> i would say you know often the recording trips can be quite um Uh, you know going out uh, recording in minus 40 uh, celsius it's uh, it's quite hard work i mean it's it's hard to do it Uh, you know so i need to you know bringing the right uh, equipment also in terms of clothing and because there's no use if you get cold uh, or uh, you know feeling extremely uncomfortable because then you can't listen anymore even you know, if it can be too hot, you know, when I was in the Caribbean, it could at part times be like so warm that it's unbearable, you know, I'm not really used to this warm thing, you know? <laughs> So it's all this, uh, it can be quite hard, uh, the recording, I mean, I mean, difficult and time-consuming, the recording sessions and the... Uh, and to get something that you think is interesting, you know, and interesting in terms of that, wow, it's like a new fish sound, you know, or it's the crackling of uh, crustaceans or... And then, so it's, that's, it's of course very time consuming, but um, then what I need to do very quickly is to go and, uh, I mean, preferably the same day or the next day, I will listen back through all the recordings and write notes. And logging them, you know, it's really important. Otherwise, it's just becoming impossible uh, to find back. And um, and then I will go into the studio and um, and listen again. And then starting to find and pick out where I could hear that new fish, for example. And and then I need to find that. And what I do is, I mean, I don't clean it as such, but. There is often, when you record with hydrophones, there can be clunks, and and there is, it can be difficult, you know, that you, and you want to take away the sounds that are not really, or I, I'm not saying you, I mean, I, that's how I do it, when I mean, people are thinking differently about this, um, but I want to emphasize the voice of the fish, for example, so I might slightly EQ it, and and slightly, uh, you know, cut away a uh, little bit around it, and so it's like um, more trying to emphasize the voices of, of the animals. And 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 then it takes long, long time. I, I'm very slow with this, uh, <laughs> very, very slow with uh, working on making it into some composed piece that I think sounds the way I like it to sound. And that's telling the story that I'm imagining in my head, you know. Mm, and it's not so important that the audience are I'm just, you know, having the same story when they listen, but it needs to work you know, I need to have that kind of gut feeling that I can sense that I'm happy with it, so this takes really long time, you know, when I was working with a, for something released, the energy field CD I, I think that took about four years I mean, so so it's a long process and the spring bloom in the marginalized zone was premiered last year in February um, by the Sonic uh, Acts Festival in Amsterdam and uh, since then I have played it again and now after a year of different versions of it I start to feel it's sort of getting into uh, you know a a good shape you know what I mean so yeah
0: No, it's good to uh, appreciate that because I think uh, um, I think a lot of people lose perspective that that when they hear these works, they think it's just been captured and uh, you know and, and you dust it off and it's uh, there it is. But there is a lot of um, shaping that goes on behind the scenes too.
1: Yeah, there is very much, and it's so it's uh, you know it's it actually uh, yeah yeah. I think that's important, people. Uh, but there are different ways of working, of course. I mean, some person would. Place a microphone into a space and then present this recording straight as is. You know, but it's different ways of working. Mm.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, well, thanks for your time and for sharing uh, your experience and uh, being so um, open about that. Uh, I, uh, uh, that, that's really meaningful for everyone here and and, uh, and for our listeners uh, uh, down in the states and uh, and elsewhere.
1: I think the whole point is that people, you know, that we we can share this and that we are, uh, you know, we can all, you know, go out there
0: and... Uh... Yeah, it's true, actually. Well, it's a very individual experience, you know, when you're out there camping by yourself and, and uh, there's subtleties to the practice that you pick up that uh, other people are, are in their isolation, uh, you know, mastering.
1: <laughs> I think I would say, actually, to, uh, you know, as a kind of advice to people that go out there you really just have to find your own way you know you have to find the way and what you like to catch and then and what you like to how you like to work yourself and and explore it and use the tools how they are not meant to be used you know turn things upside down I mean just do things in in the way and explore as much as you can I think that's the best advice to give to anybody going out there you know and and thinking about this yeah
0: yeah it's true it's um you you it's an improvisation especially when you're working out in the field um and uh it's just between you and the environment i guess That was my interview with Jana Vinderen and we're going to listen to take us through the end of the show. We're going to listen to the second part of The Noisiest Guys on the Planet, available on the touch label and uh, accessible through Bandcamp. Next month on Making Waves, we'll be covering the Sound Travels Festival in progress up here in South River, Canada. Thanks for listening and thanks for the support from WGXC and we hope uh, many more years of great programming are ahead.